Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. Times get tougher even if they don't. Today's January the 9th, 2019. This is episode 2356 of the Survival Podcast. I have Michael Sedini. He is going to be with us here in just a minute. Uh, Michael's a cool dude. Definitely well-known in the firearms industry. Um, he is a third-generation firearms industry professional and uh, is the, uh, the force behind Eagle Imports, so things like Bursa and things like that come into the country. Um, but that's not really what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about um, his new organization that he has founded and, and gotten up off the ground and got running. It's called Walk the Talk America. And they've created alliances between leading experts and organizations in the firearms and mental health industries. And that might sound like an odd matchup, but it's something that really needed to be done. Whenever there's like a mass shooting or something like that, we always hear, well, it's just a maniac with a gun or something like that. And I've done shows and I've talked about how we need to stop labeling things that way. We do that for our own comfort. We never ask, you know, what is, what is the human side? What drove this person to do this? And was there something that could have prevented it? We know banning guns wouldn't prevent it. We know that. But that doesn't mean something couldn't be done. And we, we also ignore. In fact, I, I think we do a disservice, our side of the debate, by minimizing suicides. When you look, and they say there's X amount of gun deaths, if you look and it, 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 it's crime on crime, or it's somebody defending themselves, or it's police... And you take all of those out of the gun deaths, and then so it's left to be people that actually shot somebody that was an innocent person. Um, then you find almost a huge majority of those, and actually a very low number of people are actually shot and killed in this country uh, just in that type of thing. The majority of them that are left in that, that, that number are suicides. And... As someone trying to defend the Second Amendment will often say, well, they're all suicides. And then the people that are still anti-gun, of course, will say, well, suicides, you know, matter. And we'll point out that, you know, if you want to kill yourself, there's lots of ways to do it. But we'll also say it's a mental health issue. Well, doesn't that mean that we have a responsibility to do something about it? And we don't need laws. We don't need regulations. We need ways that people can reach out for help. And we need ways that people can reach out for help where they don't feel like they're going to lose everything. They don't feel like when they reach out for help because they're having some sort of mental problems that they're going to lose their Second Amendment rights. So they're never going to get them back. They're not afraid that they're going to lose a security clearance and lose a job. You know, they, they feel comfortable with that. And what Michael and his folks have done with Walk the Talk America is create programs that are like that, that, that a person that needs help can go to and take advantage of and, and, and heal in without worrying about having their lives destroyed. And it's not just his company either. He's got a lot of other firearms manufacturers on board right now. And we'll be talking about a lot of things today, but one of the things we'll hit on is why that makes the programs more trustworthy and, and makes people more comfortable in trusting them and how important trust is in any situation where mental health is on the line and people need help. We'll get to all of that and more in just a moment. Before we do, let's go ahead and hear from our two sponsors of the day. Sponsor of the day number one today is the original 
Survival Podcast sponsor. What does original mean? Original means the very first one. Safe Castle Royal. Uh, Vic Rontala over there reached out to me. God, this show had not been around very long. We had maybe a hundred listeners. And he's like, you know, I want to do something with you. I want to sponsor the show. And I'm like, man, I, I can't take your money yet. I, cause I don't believe in, in, in taking money and, and not being able to, to basically give the value back in return for it. But, you know, when I did get the show built up to a point where I started to have thousands versus hundreds of listeners and I was ready to launch the sponsorship program, he was still there and ready to go. He said he would be, and he kept his word to me. And we have been working with Safe Castle Roll now for over nine years, nine years in the podcast industry. That is a long time to have a sponsor. You should check them out today. They have everything you could think of for your prepping needs. They're at safecastle.com. Next up today, Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason. Look. Berkey water filtration is kind of, in my opinion, the gold standard for water filtration. It always works. It always works great. It looks good. And when you actually look at the cost over the lifetime or even just a couple of years, it to me is the best bang for the buck you can get in the world of good quality water filtration. Uh, I always put my water that we drink through Berkey. I try to put most of the water even that we cook with through Berkey. You know, I'm on a well. And I just saw a TV program. I don't remember what it was, but it was, they were talking about water, and they said, you know, if you're not, if you're on a well, then the government won't test your water for you. You know, like routinely take care of it and, and regulate it for you. And well, gee, I need them to do that. But their point was that, you know, if you're on city water, well, they they test that all the time. But you're responsible for yourself. They said you should get your well water tested every two years. Wait a minute. What about you know? What about the, the, the two years in between the test? If something goes, how would you even know until you got sick? And the same thing with city water. Oh, they regulated and tested. Okay. Then you know when you hear those boil water advisories? They usually issue those after someone gets sick, after there's a problem, after you've already been drinking the water. Filter your water, use a Berkey, and if you're going to get a Berkey, go to Jeff the Berkey Guy Gleason at his website, directive21.com. And real quick, before we bring Michael on, let me remind you guys that you can help support this show. By joining the Members Support Brigade, we call that the MSB, the Survival Podcast Members Support Brigade. If you do that, you'll get a bunch of really great discounts on stuff you're probably going to buy anyway, which means you'll put all the money right back into your pocket, and you'll help support the show that you love for 18.3 cents an episode. With that, let's go ahead and get right on into it. It's going to be kind of a long interview with Michael. Uh, again, Michael Sedoni is the founder of Walk the Talk America, an organization whose goal is to raise awareness and create a change in the misunderstanding regarding mental illnesses and firearms and by bringing together industry leaders to reduce gun violence, negligence, suicide, and the trauma created by these events, develop programs for suicide prevention, firearms negligence, trauma mitigation, and child safety. And with that, hey, Michael, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey man, thank you for having me. I'm I'm excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this for a while. I, I am I'm really glad to have you on today. I think this is an incredibly important subject. Uh and it's it's something that a lot of people have said, you know, we can do something about it, but well we really haven't. Um and, and I want to get deep into Walk the Talk of America, the organization you founded and, and the work that you're looking to do. But before we do that, can you kind of tell people who who are you, man? You know, like Take it back to like you're spaced out in study hall trying to get up the courage to ask a girl out or something. And how does that lead you into the eventually into the firearms industry and all the stuff that you've done? Uh, well, okay. So I was born in New Jersey. Um, and after I'm sorry. that, I, 
Yeah. I, I was born in Red Bank. Oh, we're right next to each other. I'm yeah. like Asbury Park. So. Oh, wow, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I got out at an early age and uh, moved all over. I lived all over the world. I had a single mom uh, who bounced around from job to job. Uh, basically spent my formative years, and you're going to, if you thought Jersey was bad, uh, San Francisco. <laughs> so I took it up to the next, next level of, of, of weirdness in, in some sort of the sense. Um, but then, uh, when I'm in high school, I went to four different high schools. I went to high school in Singapore. I went to high school in, uh, two in Seattle. And then I went back to Jersey, um, for my senior year. Uh, so that's that. And then I went to college at Arizona State. Um, after that, I went to work for my uncle and my grandfather who owned a, uh, importer called Eagle Imports. Inc., which, you know, I currently own and I'm the president of, and we import guns in the United States. But really, I didn't ever – it's weird when you have family members, you know that they'll take you, right? <laughs> like, they'll, they'll take you for – like, you know you could go work there. Yeah. You do everything in your power not to work there, even though you realize now, like, as a 21-year-old coming out of ASU, I should have cherished that work. I had to go do other things. I ended up getting in the fashion business for a while. You know, then I came around full circle, 2006. Now I'm in the gun industry full time. So I've always had my toe in it just a little bit. Um, but that, that's how I got to where I am, which, you know, then led to cut to 2018, Walk Talk America. You know, so. Can, can we talk about that then? What, what exactly is Walk the Talk America? Uh, Walk Talk America is. So, all right, here's the thing. I, Eagle Imports imports guns the the best way to explain for people who don't know who i am uh is i i own an importer and master distributor type deal where i represent manufacturers who aren't big enough to have their own manufacturing in the united states i handle their sales their warranty their customer service and from top to bottom like a turnkey operation i build their brand in the united states um Basically, I am them. I'm a part of them. You know, I'm their, their arm here. I represent them there. So I've been in the gun industry for a long time, and I'm not really, I would say, a gun guy, if that makes any sense. Like, people call me the ungun gun guy. Okay. Because <laughs> it's, I like guns. I love shooting them, but I'm not fanatical. And I grew up in places where you just didn't have easy access to them. So I wasn't involved in a lot of, like, hunting trips or just around people that, you know, hey, let me show you this new Glock or let me show you that, right? Um, so I've always kind of taken a more business approach to the industry. But having said that, when I got into the industry, man, did I meet some of the most amazing people, right? Like just beautiful, genuine people that are in the shooting sports, into hunting, into all these things. Nothing like me, but took me in, showed me their way. Um, and we have these great conversations. So I started to take it personal when people attack the shooting sports industry, not just because I'm in it, but also because it's just not true, right? Like we're not all standing on graves uh, when there's a tragedy. We're not cheering when there's a school shooting. I mean, these things that, that we're being accused of, it's just unfair. So I have so many friends that for years, you know, we try to figure out, well, what's the best way to make people understand us and shooting sports but also do something, you know, for the community and do something, be involved and show people, um, not just, hey, we have great moral compasses. Um, and that's kind of where it led into Walk to Talk America. But, but how Walk to Talk America 
came about was it was an accident. <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it, it was something completely accidental, but I applied it to just basically constantly thinking about ourselves in the shooting sports. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's how it was. And the story behind Walk to Talk America was that I was at a, a dinner with my national sales manager. His name is Rafael Del Valle, uh, very well known in the industry. And we had another friend there that was one of his buddies from uh, New Orleans. And we had a table for four and it was a busy restaurant. And we met a lady who was standing next to us that was reading a book that Raphael knew, right? And they had made small talk and we started talking to her. Great lady. She was there on business, didn't know anybody. Um, we sit down at the table. Roth and I are sitting there. We're like, yeah, I'm like, go get that girl. Like bring her back to the table. Let her have dinner with us. She's alone. We bring her back to the table and we're having a great conversation. She's not a gun person. Uh, doesn't have any problems with it. Grew up in the military. Uh, had some special needs kids. Uh, so we were having a great conversation and she literally says, what's the deal with the gun stuff? I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't have a problem with it, but what happens? I said, well, there's a tragedy. People blame the gun. I said, then we blame mental health. And then just goes in a circle and nothing happens. She, she looks at me and she goes, well, how do you work with mental health? Because if you've identified the problem, like what, where do you go from? I mean, clearly you guys must work hand in hand. You already know what the problem is. You know, it's not you. <laughs> Roth and I literally look at each other. And, you know, we've been in a couple of vodka sodas. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I don't think we do. And Roth goes, yeah, Mike, you should, you should donate a dollar for every gun we sell to, to mental health. Like that seems like something noble that makes sense. Well, I'm sitting at the table and I'm just thinking about this, you know, to our dinner and I'm, I'm, I become obsessed with it. And, and that's, that was June 15th. That was the night that this lady said something and it kind of sparked what I'd say would happen next, which is putting all the wheels in motion. Um, Never, you know, at the end of the night, dinner was over. We gave her a hug, never got her name number. She looked at me. She goes, you're going to do this. I could tell. I could see it in your eyes. <laughs> and I was like, I am going to do it. My biggest regret is that I did not get her information. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, so there's there's a woman from Texas running around that literally started this. Like, it's it's because of her comment. And then it's because of my national sales manager's comment that kind of sparked this in motion. So it's kind of a neat little story, you know. Absolutely. And and so, you know, what what is the actual goal of the organization? What what are what are you guys trying to do or accomplish? Uh well, I would say what we have accomplished has been pretty amazing okay. already. Um but but what we're trying to do it's twofold, right? So we want to fund all the organizations that are out there doing real community work uh in education, safety and outreach. Right. So um, and I can kind of expand on that to make it make more sense. But okay. the second part we're doing is also destroying the stigma of mental health. Um, so let's just circle back to the first one in a little bit. But the stigma that is around mental illness is huge. And what really spoke to me is when I got back from New Orleans, I did a bunch of research because I was like, I need to find a mental health organization that is pro-gun. I didn't even know if there was one existed. And it really isn't. But guess what? I found one that had a position paper. It's position paper 72, uh, Mental Health America. They actually don't take a stance on guns. They are Switzerland. And they even put in their position paper, 
a lot of our affiliates and partners will be angry at us for that. But the reason why we are Switzerland is we don't like the negative stigma that's been put on us by firearms. Because every time someone says, it's not a firearm, it's a crazy with a gun. It's a lunatic with a gun. Well, there's, there, that puts fuel on the fire, right? Like that's sure. what that does. And then what happens is, is people don't want to come forward and get help because they don't want to be labeled or they don't want to lose their second amendment, right? So we have a ton of vets in this industry that, you know, we lose a lot of people because they don't want to lose their clearance or they don't want to lose their, their gun rights. Or, I mean, take away the second amendment part, the pro 2A stuff, they don't want to be labeled that. It's like a scarlet letter. And, and throughout society, people say, oh, it's a crazy, he's just a crazy person. Yeah, yeah. Well, Right. So we want to bury that stigma and take it away that it's okay to say I have PTSD and I need the range. Well, I agree. And like, so like another thing is like the reason this kind of resonates with me so much is when you see one of these kids lose their mind and, and, and go off and kill a bunch of other kids in a school and you realize that kid was probably tormented. Plus he had mental illness problems because plenty of people are tormented and don't do this. Right. But when we just want to label that as just being crazy and he's a piece of trash or whatever, and we can't even look at the human being that was put in a position to do this that had circumstances been different, may have never hurt anybody, and we dehumanize that person, again, it shuts people down. Because you know, if I'm a 17-year-old kid and I'm having these thoughts and I'm being tormented by my peers... I don't just like the the vet doesn't want to come forward and lose the, maybe their gun rights or whatever, but that kid just doesn't want to be labeled and associated with that and and it, it honestly can then lead to actually becoming that which they don't want to be labeled as. Right. It's uh it's it's and Mental Health America really puts it in a a great perspective. They frame it up very well. They have a, a theory it's called before stage 4. Okay. Um so basically Think of it like cancer. You get a lump on your neck or you get a lump on your arm. And what do you do at first? You're, we're, you know, we're tough guys. Like we kind of just ignore it. All right. Then it gets worse. By the time you go do something about it and get it checked out, it's usually stage four. I mean, we see it all the time with women in breast cancer, right? I knew the lump was there. I just didn't go get it checked out. Well, apply the same thing to your mental health, right? Um, Maybe you know something's not right or you have you have fears, you have anxiety, you have PTSD, you have depression, and you don't want to come forward and tell anybody um, when will you usually come forward. Maybe when it's too late and then you might do something to yourself or others that really isn't you, right? And that's not everybody because that's the whole thing, like violence amongst other people within, within the mental. So people that – this is a great statistic for you and the listeners uh, – these Adam Lanzas, these cruises, right? Mm-hmm. These guys, they are in a five percentile of people that battle mental illness. So that's, that's like finding a needle in a haystack, right? That's five yeah. percent of people that have or battle mental illness will do something violent to other people. Usually what they'll do is do it to themselves or they will have violence done upon them for being misunderstood, right? So it, it really goes back to that theory. We have to start fighting in the open mental illness. And, and we say, I suffer from this, and I'm functional, and I do this, and I'm proud, because it gets rid of the stigma. If you need help, come forward and say you need help. And I get it. There's probably a lot of listeners right now that are like, that's fine and great, but I don't want to lose any rights. And that's what I love about Mental Health America is that they don't take a stance on guns. They have put in on paper 
that they actually believe stripping someone of their firearms rights who battles mental illness is is it's the worst kind of wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a total violation of your civil rights. So that's pretty powerful. And when I tell people that and I show them, you know, I show them where they document that, they're always like, that's really cool because they get it. Yeah. Right? And that's what we need. Well, so. yeah, because there is a big distrust um, on, on, like say, I don't even really want to say the right, but the, more the liberty-oriented libertarians as well, you know, the sane anarchists like myself, et cetera, that they distrust the psychology industry because, I mean, there was just a report out today that some, you know, psycho psychological organization, national organization, said that, like, masculineness is dangerous in boys. And, and right. so, like, we see a lot, and then there's there's other places where they basically say that, well, anybody that would want a gun must be crazy. And so there's a lot of distrust having people, cause, but, but on the other hand, like, mental illness is an illness. So if I have, you know, a lump, I need to go see a doctor, and really I need to, if there's malignancy, I need to go to an oncologist. I need to have someone I can go to to treat my cancer or to treat whatever illness I have. And people that have these problems... You know, I don't believe a solution is always pharmaceutical. Sometimes it helps. Sometimes it's probably a bad idea. But they need a doctor they can go to for their illness that they can trust. This first solution is not going to be, well, let's put him on meds and take away his guns. Yeah, absolutely. And then that's a huge thing. And I have this conversation with a lot of people, and I have it a lot now, obviously, because I've been kind of put in this certain position to where people want to come and talk to me about it. And, and I love playing with other people's ideas because that's how you learn, right? Like you learn where people are coming from and you learn what their fear is. But in the end, it's just obstacles, right? Like those are obstacles. Like make your case, make it intelligently. Don't play identity politics, which I hate. Yeah. Right. Um, because I find a lot of people double down. Like as a libertarian, I'm a libertarian. Okay. Like, that's how I grew you know, I, but I grew up around liberals, right? So that's, that's probably what I understand. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, But, you know, my thing is, is listen to that side. So, like, I'll give you an example. Um, I'm at a trade show right now that just finished today, uh, Big Rock, which is in Nashville. And I, I was going from booth to booth talking to some people, and some of them were picking my brains. And one of them said something about, you know, the drugs that are prescribed to some of these kids. I don't believe it's – I think that trial and error is huge, like you said, with everything. There are people that need that medication – to function properly. I've seen it and I've met them and they will be honest and they'll say like, Hey, I suffer from schizophrenia, but since I've taken my medication and I take my medication, it works for me and I'm functional and I'm in society and I'm doing it. Right. And those are the stories that we never hear. We just hear about the person that did something silly and they were on that antipsychotic drug. But having said that, I think we need to pay more attention to the brain, right. And really focus on a Pure trial and error. Um, you know, I did that with, I have a daughter. I speak very freely about my daughters and the things that we go through on, I've done this on other shows. Um, everybody said she had ADD. Uh, you know, of course I'm that guy. Like, yeah, that's the standard is called being a kid, right? Like I, you know, I, that's how I compartmentalized it, put it right like there. But in the end, you know, I had some discussions with my ex-wife and, and doctors and they said, Mike, you could take her off of it. And I was like, Bing. Yeah, that's kind of no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's kind of. <laughs> yeah. So just see how she did. So here, end of the story. On it for about two years. Grade straighten out. Everything straightens out. One day she says to me, Dad, I don't want to take these anymore. We had this discussion. We talked about it. 
I said, look, take you off of them. If we see things, because she did show improvement, right? Everything's straightened out. She's doing great. So, you know, I don't know what that was. Maybe she never needed it all the time, but I'm telling you, like, whatever happened, it worked. And even the teachers used to come back to me and said, since she's been on this, she's much better. Right. So I got to process that as a human. I got to say, I don't want my daughter on this stuff, you know, especially since it ruined my ex wife's life. Right. Like that's, that's something also to share. So I'm not speaking out of school. Um, you know, but Adderall addiction ruined her life. It crushed her. So here I am saying, look, mommy's not sick. She has a problem. And now I'm trying to explain to my young daughter the same thing that we're saying that mommy's got a problem with. We got to put you on it. Right. That was a tough conversation to have. So, you know, I guess to wrap it up and not be all over the place, it, it, there needs to be just more of a focus. Let's try this. Let's try that. Whether it's aromatherapy, whether there's yoga, right? Like there's something that can work for everyone, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we move deeper into the organization itself, what role does your company, Eagle Imports, play in Walk the Talk America? Well, okay, so um, I would say the best way to describe Eagle Imports playing a role in is as we were the first ones to put our money where our mouth is. Um, I went to my manufacturers and said, this is something I want to do. I want to take one gun, and, and, you know, it's my company, so it really doesn't matter. I just wanted their blessing that I could attach them to it, right? And I want to take a dollar for every gun I sell and put it into Walk to Talk America, which then if we circle back to, you know, the first thing I do, education, safety, and outreach, I want to fund the programs that have been uh, discontinued. If you look at the years 2008 to 2016, I believe, it's something like $4.6 has been cut from mental health on a, on a, a national level. You know, some of those programs I want to fund. So I needed the money to start this and kind of develop the relationships and fund the cool programs so that's how Eagle plays a giant role in this. Now, one of the cool things about me being the president and owner of a gun importer or a gun company is that I will never do anything to jeopardize the way I feed my daughters. Sure. So if I believe in this, if I stand up and say, Mental Health America is pure, they're good. Like all these programs are good. There's no backdoor boogeyman that's going to try to take away your rights. They actually encourage you to come forward and they want to help. You know, I'm putting myself out on the line there. So I feel like that's important. And I think that resonates with a lot of people too, because when I do speaking engagements, brother, you would not believe how many people come up to me after and they'll have tears in their eyes and say like, I'm so happy someone finally said it, you know, or I, my husband or this, or my wife deals with this and, we're so pro 2A and we've always been scared and it's nice to see the discussion happening. So Eagle's role in that is, is essentially kind of supporting it financially, but also kind of leading uh, its credibility towards what I'm doing. Cause I definitely would not feed my children. <laughs> like I would jump it. I mean, when we think about it, like there, there is this kind of blanket statement and it's generally the anti-gunners that make this blanket statement that basically we don't want anybody with mental illness to have a gun uh, you know ever and if you just look at the number of people being treated for some form of a mental illness it, it could be moderate depression 
It could be anxiety or whatever. It's not even a huge thing in their life, but they're just the number that are being treated on some sort of a medication. It's about 17% of adults. One right. in six. So that's a huge swath of the population. And, and I, I personally think many of those people probably shouldn't be on medication because the drug company's job is to sell drugs, right? So they, they look for new ways to have these things prescribed over and over and over again. And I think some of the mental health problems we have are agitated by overuse of pharmaceuticals. And again, I'll, I'll, I'm not anti-science. I think in some instances they're helpful. But right. you can't take the approach of anybody with a mental illness shouldn't have a gun if you're talking about almost 20% of America. Right. Well, don't even get me started on big pharma, man. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you know, it, it's it's one of those things where I mental illness is is painted in such a broad brush with such a broad brush. But you got to think about it. There's over 200 diagnoses for mental illness. Right. One of them is arachnophobia, believe it or not. So it's like a, I, if you're afraid of spiders, you have a mental illness. Right. But that's considered a mental illness. Isn't that crazy? Like I was literally reading What? through. <laughs> what it, all the different things are. So when you say mental illness, and that's one of the reasons why um, Mental Health America is always kind of like, watch your language. And I have to, because I admit I was that guy who was like, lunatic with a gun, it's a lunatic with a gun. Yeah. yeah. Right? It, it wasn't until they, they told me about my language, and I still mess up. I do too. I'm human, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I even feel I just said the word crazy earlier, describe something. And I almost was like, ooh, you know, like I, I, I'm real with it. I, I get it. But I'm with you. Pharma, that's what they tell us. We're sick. You need this, blah, blah, blah. I didn't realize. I mean, I, I can go into can I I want to go into detail about a little funny story. Go ahead. Um, so I'm in Colorado and I'm meeting with uh, somebody from the MHA or from MHA and I kept saying, I want to fund the outreach programs that you talk about in this position paper, right? And she was a little confused. She keeps saying, like, which ones? And I said, well, you, you're, it's your paper. You're the ones that do it. <laughs> and she, she's like, no, these are your words. And I was like, no, no. And there was a misunderstanding. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, because one of the things that really caught my eye in the paper was they talked about uh, Jared Lawner and Gifford, right? Remember that in Arizona? Yep. He, yep. And And basically saying that if if – There wouldn't have been cuts in Pima County, which is in Arizona. They would have been able to reach out, do some outreach, contact them. And he's like, I know a lot of people will say that wouldn't have helped, but you can't argue that we don't know that. Maybe it would, maybe it wouldn't. And that's what really struck me was outreach. So I'm putting all this stuff into outreach, and I'm putting all this importance on outreach. And she's kind of saying, like, look, we can write our own programs or we can find the ones, right? I get it. But she kept talking about pharma. Look, we work hand in hand with pharma, 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 pharma. Well, I come out of that conversation a little frustrated because I'm like, look, they're focusing on suicide. Now I get why they were focusing on suicide, right? Because of the needle in the haystack thing. But I'm still a big outreach guy. So I believe that all children and everybody, there should be people there to say, look, let's pull people aside and say, are you okay? You know what I mean? Is everything okay? Um, but anyway, so I am talking about my frustrations later on at night and there's a group of guys and there's one of them that actually heard me speak at an event and we're all like having a beer and i was like i'm going to bed and the guy's like hey man can i talk to you about something i said sure and he was like well let's let's go have another drink and i'm like man i gotta go to bed I, I, he's like listen okay i get it but we have to talk later he's like i heard you say talk about pharma earlier and he's like when you met with the mental health people did they bring up pharma and i'm like Yeah, that's where that's why I was talking about it. 
He's like, did they bring it up a lot? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. So he goes down this whole kind of, you know, I wouldn't say he was a conspiracy theorist because he worked in nonprofit organizations. And he says, pharma doesn't want outreach. Like they don't want you to try to go fix the problem, right? Like, although there are purpose for, there's purpose for those drugs in, in instances, the perfect world is that you don't go and try to help somebody and fix them naturally, I'd say, or, you know, whatever it is, whatever method you use, whether it's counseling, all that stuff. And, you know, I started to think about it. I'm like, everybody gets money from pharma, right? And that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I, yeah, yeah, as I'm walking away from this conversation, cause he goes, you know what's awesome about you? You don't know what you're doing and you're green. He's like, so I, I love what you're up to. I love what you're saying. He's like, and I really would love to see you on like USA Today and CNN and Fox. Cause he's like, you pretty much, don't need anybody's money, your heart's in the right place, and you don't understand the game. <laughs> so, he, and then he goes, but also, man, people die for this stuff, so be very careful. <laughs> and he yeah. walks away. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, oh boy. Well, so, and it, it's amazing how quickly they, the doctors are to just do it. I, when, many, many years ago, my son, it's actually my stepson, and his birth father died. And we could tell it was it was very very hard on him as you would expect for it to be to a kid that's you know nine years old. Right. So we, uh, my wife was a nurse, and we got a referral to a psychologist from her boss, and we went in to see him. And I, I was ready to put the guy through the wall in about fifteen minutes because he spent five minutes with with my son, came out, said I've diagnosed him with depression. He needs to be on medication. Right. I said, he's sad. His father died. We didn't bring you to him to put him on medication. He, he starts to tell my, my medical opinion. and blah, uh, We're done. We're leaving. So we found him uh, a, a psychiatrist to talk to him and give him counseling. And I think it was the sixth time that we, we took him when we went to pick him up. He was pissed. He did not want to go. Um, but we'd like, you know, we, we know you need to do this and you'll tell this person things you probably wouldn't tell us eventually anyway. And it was probably the sixth time that we took him there. The guy came out and met with us and said, he doesn't need me anymore. Wow. Right. He said, he's good. He said he had some things to get through, but he says, if, if, you know, if he needs to talk again, get in touch with me and we'll set an appointment, but he doesn't need me anymore. Now, see, the pharmaceutical company can't take that approach because they need, like, once they put you on one of these drugs, all their income comes from treatment. None of their income comes from cure. Cure, I give you a bottle, I give you a bottle of penicillin because you have an infection. You take the penicillin and your infection goes away and you know, you're done, right? You're cured. Well, that's why penicillin is like four bucks at Walmart without, without insurance. But if I can get you on an expensive maintenance medication when you're 14 and I can keep you on that medication until you're, you know, 80 if you make it, then I have a lifetime customer, and that's the model they've taken. And when you get into you know multi hundreds of billions of dollars in anything, things get really dirty. They just do. And I mean, we probably should stop kicking that because you and I could probably go on for an hour on just this. But yeah, I mean, like I, I've never seen somebody that's on psychiatric medication be told, "Oh, you don't need this anymore." But I've seen plenty of people that go get counseling reach the point where they're told, "You know what? You've got this now." And that's why I'm much more a fan of that approach. Well, absolutely. Pharma could not do that. And that the coolest thing about your story, though, is that you actually found someone that exactly did what we were just talking about, uh, like sticking with the process, bringing the person in for X amount of time, uh, finding out what works best, talking, getting to know them. That's exactly the kind of outreach that I love. 
I love hearing those stories because that's what I'm talking about. That's the stuff we need, and we need to bring those people to the forefront and and make them. I mean. <laughs> Make them famous, right? Like those are the people that are the best. So I dig that. That's really cool. Awesome. So you know, you've mentioned Mental Health America, and you've kind of talked about it. How exactly did that partnership form? Uh, it's actually a really cool story. So I found them, and then I wrote this. Uh, you know, I've said it before. It's this Jerry Maguire Hail Mary memo. Okay. <laughs> like, and I I wrote it, and I. I put it by people I loved, right? There's there's people in the industry that I'm close with, like Rob Pincus, who's a, a firearms trainer. Um, and then, you know, put it to a couple friends of mine that I trust and said, does this make sense? Like what I'm saying, does it make sense? And I actually post the letter on the website. So there's a section on why I started WTTA at WTTA.org, if anyone wants to check it out, um, where I post it and I post the response, right? So I sent this letter at... And the funny part about it was, so I was, I was talking to Rob Pincus. He's like, look, you're not established yet. You know, you just had this idea on June, June 15th. It was in July when I wrote the email and I hit send and basically sent it out to, I found a random person in like business development at MHA and I didn't hear anything for like a week, you know, and you know, Rob is like, I thought you weren't going to send it, <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's, it's kind of one of those type of deals where I was like, sure, I won't send it. And then I hit send. Um, but the day that I got the paperwork back from the government that said I was, a, a, you know, official 501c3, I got an email from uh, Mental Health America. And it was actually the lady's name is America, <laughs> believe it or not, that uh, messaged me back and said, we've been passing around your email and we would love for you to come out to one of our legislation conferences in L.A. I know it's short notice, but do you mind doing that? And I was like, I got to go, you know, so. Uh, stars were lining up. So I got on a plane, flew out to L.A. with uh, Maria Kurnasovic, who's also part of the Walk Talk America board. She's the Eagle Imports uh, CFO. And she flew from New Jersey. I flew from Vegas. We got there. We, we showed up to the conference. It just so happened the vice president of, of uh, MHA was out front. And we asked for our badges and everything. And they're like, who are you? And I said, we're the gun people. We're the gun. I'm the gun guy. And they were like, we didn't think you'd show up. I'm like, I'm here. So that's how that relationship started was by like a chance email that I was, I wanted them to understand my side of it and what we want to do, right? Like what, what our goals are and how we can work together. It doesn't matter if you're Republican, doesn't matter if you're Democrat, doesn't matter if you're gay, straight, doesn't matter if you're pro-life or, you know, whatever. You're green. You can be green. The Walk Talk America is an organization about getting stuff done. We're going to check. Like all that crap at the door. Gotcha. Right? That's so that that's really what the message was. Like, let's start doing the things that save lives. We don't need legislation. We can make mentally healthier America without legislation. <laughs> there's programs. There's people out there like the person, you know, that that works with somebody. That well, type. It, of- yeah. And the person that, that, that needs help generally wants help. What they are often like we've talked about already is they're afraid to go get help. They don't trust the provider. They don't want to be labeled, you know. And I think in many instances they have a legitimate fear that all these guys want to do is going to put me on dope. And right. and, and and I think we need to understand that there are people out there that you can go to them for help. They can't put you on dope because they're not that kind of a doctor. 
Right. And if you start there, you know, you're not at least you're not going to be railroaded into immediately going on Adderall or Ritalin or God knows what. So you, you've made a lot of headway on that side. But I know you've actually made a lot of headway as well, like bringing in other uh, companies in the firearms industry. Can you talk a little bit about you know, who's committed to, 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 to stepping up and, and joining you and helping on that side of things? All right. So one of the cool things about this, this organization, and, and if this is my legacy moment in the future, right? And I'm talking to my daughters about Walk to Talk America, or I'm talking, well, my daughters already know. I'm talking to their daughters or their sons or whatever, great grandkids, hopefully. Um, one of the great stories is I'll be able to tell them about all the companies that stepped up to help me because I couldn't, this is a simple idea, right? Like it's a simple idea. The lady made it a simple idea at the dinner. Right. All I did was take the idea and run with it. But there's a lot of people that I meet that are like, wow, that why didn't anybody think of that before? And I get that. Right. But you can't execute on these ideas, a simple idea, even if you don't have support from other people. And that's what I really needed. I had developed these relationships inside the gun industry for years. I'm third generation. Right. If you count my grandfather, my uncle. Um, and there's a lot of good people in the industry that took take care of me. And I never like I don't. I'm not Cobra Kai. I don't walk around and go, Bursa is better than Ruger. Like I've, yeah. I, we help each other, right? Like, <laughs> like that's what we do as a, as a, in the gun community. So I was able to reach out to companies that, like, for example, John Renzulli, uh, Renzulli Law. He's, he is the lawyer for Glock and Mossberg. He represents their legal. Uh, he donated all the legal and paperwork write up to me to get this off the ground. Um, I had a company come in called Brand Avalanche that does my hosting for free that donated that and also built the shell of my website. Uh, Guns for Everyone out of Colorado, they did uh, – he's like my webmaster. He does everything for me. Uh, Laura Burgess PR, they do all my press releases for me, and this is everything that they donate, right? And here's the kicker. Like there are companies that uh, – like Arms Corps that everyone would consider my competition for Metro Arms, which is my 1911 line. They're really good friends of mine. They stepped up huge and said no. That was, that was big for me and because I, I, I wanted another gun company to like get involved because it's easy for me to just do it, right? Sure. But having someone that people consider my competition was huge. So Arms Corps is a big one. Um, I'm working with Charlie Brown from MKS, High Point. Those guys stepped up. I, I just had a conversation with someone from possibly Remington. I don't want to jinx any of this stuff. But uh, there's a lot of people that I'm going to be talking to at SHOT Show. And there's there's companies I'm forgetting. Oh, there's Davidson's, uh, uh, Davidson's Lipsies. These are distributors. Uh, Colian Noir is one of my dear friends. Rob Pincus, one of my dear friends. They've donated. Kenny Gleason, the president of NASGW, donated. Um, they're all working on my board, and they're working with me. Um, I can't say enough about the other companies. There's, and that's what's great about it. Once again, we've checked all the ego at the door. Everybody agrees. Like even if we don't agree on certain philosophies inside the gun industry, uh, we can agree that the things that Walk to Talk America is doing for people and the programs we're funding are amazing, right? Like that's and that's the most important. So uh, there's so many people in the gun. I can't wait for Shot Show. Well, and you know, there's a, there's a good type of greed in the capitalist system, and that is that we are motivated to sell our stuff to make our living. And the beauty in this is that if you have those people involved, then the person that might need some assistance, want to take part in one of these programs, etc., can trust that program because they know full well that you guys aren't going to put yourselves out of business. Because yep. the last thing you want is your customer to no longer be able to buy your product. Right. I mean, because that's not that's not a good thing. Um, and then, if you know, in this industry, 
if you do something like that, you got a lot more problem than one customer not buying your product anymore. Like, right. like this, the, the gun owners of America as a group, and I don't mean any, I think there is an organization called that. I just mean the, the generic term right. are vengeful, <laughs> vengeful bastards when it comes to anybody taking their rights. Like, you, you know, if a country singer plays the wrong benefit, he's off country radio. I mean, you, right. you don't, and again, I think that helps so much with trust, which for mental health assistance to work, it doesn't just require the person to go ask for help and partake in counseling. They actually have to trust who they're working with so that they can get through it. You know, you can go to counseling and have it not work because you don't want to. You can also go because you don't really trust the counselor. Uh, I had a very good friend of mine that got a very dark place in his life, and I talked to him about counseling. He said, well, I'm getting counseling. It turned out it was court-ordered. And he says, it's not working. And I'm like, you do know you have to do something too, right? You know. And, and as we talked more, it turned out he did not trust the counselor he had. Right. I'm like, then you need to get a new counselor because you're never going to get anywhere without that trust. So I think what you're doing brings this level of trust where the person that's, you know, like dealing with PTSD, we have – You know, um, I do a lot of work with veterans organizations, and, and we are losing way too many of, of these men and women. Um, and it, it's just, it, it's really important that they feel that they can go get help without losing everything that they've, you know, worked so hard to build in their lives. Yeah, it, um, it, the, the, the response from veterans and active military, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that's, it's fuel for me. Um, I, and I've never served or anything like that, but I have the utmost respect for those that do. So having these people come forward, having like active special ops guys, I had one guy there, there's in the shared story section of my website. He, he was like, look, man, I can't say anything because I'm still doing, living this, but I'll tell you what's wrong. And he was, he was willing to write something, stay anonymous and put it through the website so people can read it, but telling people like what, They go through, right? What military people go through when they know they have these issues and they're having these bad thoughts or they go in these dark places and saying, I'll lose everything if I try to go get help, right? If I go try to talk to, you know, a doctor, I, I'm gonna, it's, it, it's gonna end bad. And there's that huge, huge fear. Um, I, I think it's great too. For me, you know, everybody's backing me and they understand because I have to explain. There's some people that don't understand at first, uh, you know, what I'm up to. And they're like, be careful. But once I show them, they're usually good. But one of the other things that I like about this whole thing, too, is it just feels right, man. Like, it just feels right. Like, we get blamed. And when I say that, I'm using the same generic term you yep. use, right? Like, we get blamed for so much stuff that doesn't exist <laughs> and it, that it's ridiculous. I felt when I started this i was like one of the great things about getting behind walk to talk america is say you're arms corps right and you're in a discussion with somebody that says well duh, you know you guys all stand on graves and that's how you make your money yeah. okay well yeah it's fair you believe that that's cool hey guy, what are you doing are you doing anything because here's what we do and i'll show you what you do as a matter of fact come here i want you to do it with me right like yeah it, it, <laughs> yeah i like that yeah let's why don't, yeah. why don't you join us right exactly why wouldn't you Right. Like, so I can approach an arms corps and quite frankly, I can approach the, 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 the biggest liberal on the planet because it doesn't matter. Like we all can fund the same things that save lives. Right. Like I, I remember tweeting out to Ashton Kutcher. He said something that 
I didn't agree with, right? But I said, cool, respect your opinion. Yeah, he never answered. Yeah. One day one of these guys is going to answer. But I said, I respect your opinion, but we don't have to wait for legislation to save people. We don't need that. We can literally save lives right now. We can do things to go. So, like, that's the guy's money that I'd be like, look, put it towards that. It's something beautiful. It's something great. You know what I mean? So I love it because it's just bringing people together as well. You know, it, it, it we agree on it. <laughs> so yeah and, and that, that is the thing there are things that we all agree on and, and I think you know if you don't agree that it's it's a terrible thing when someone takes their own life or someone else's life other than in absolute self-defense then we need you you don't need counseling you need to go somewhere and go away right, right. I mean oh. like like, like <laughs> there, there, there's a very small group of even among psychopaths right it's the psychopath psychopath that we're talking about there and and you know I I, I think that Pretty much everybody does agree, and it, it what we're, we're dealing with is a, a country that's basically in, a, in all of these issues, all these hot button issues, not just guns. We're in like this massive feedback loop. Like when the the guy gets the the guitar amp too close to the microphone on a you know small band stage, and you get that, and yeah. no one can hear each other anymore because when you if, if you let's say are the anti gun liberal, when you start out with statements like you guys stand on graves, etc. Well, you just shut down the other side to getting anything done that you both agree on. Like, I'm not working with someone that comes out and calls me a murderer, right? Or blames right. The, a child's blood on me, and I've never hurt anybody in my life, you know, in a serious way anyway. Um, right. So, but when you can actually, let, let's, let's put that clutter aside, let's, let's unplug the amp, and now let's talk about, well, what do, what do we agree on? Well, you know, we want to take your guts. Well, you're not doing that, okay? You know, well, and I'm sure there's some things we want that they're never going to agree with either. Like, I think a lot of existing gun laws are unconstitutional. We don't need to talk about that either, though. Like, we all agree we don't want people dying for no good reason. So what can we yes. do about that? And no, and the thing is, no law will ever help any, like you said, we don't have to wait for legislation. There is no legislation capable of stopping these problems, There was a, some guy in China that killed like 42 people with a hammer, right? And if a person right. wants to take their, and the majority of gun deaths that, that are not self-defense or something like that are suicides. And yeah. Bam. The, you 100%. do not need a gun to kill yourself. And I think even a lot of like these mass shootings, what they are is suicides by people who can't do it. So they're committing basically suicide by cop and taking people with them. Or they do shoot themselves, but they have to do something that terrible to make themselves do it. So we have a suicide epidemic more than anything else here. And if we can't agree that we don't that we want to stop suicide, then then we have nothing to work on. I know we can all agree on that. So then, if we are logical, and sometimes it is hard to have logical discussions with other groups, but <laughs> taking guns away from people will not prevent them from killing themselves. We can all go to an over-the-counter pharmacy and buy enough bottles of pills to kill ourselves. We can all find a high thing to jump off of. Uh, you know, most women that kill themselves don't shoot themselves, right? right? So, so we know that there's are plenty of. If you want to kill yourself, there are plenty of ways to do it. And so, the problem then is how do we help these people that are in the state? Because anybody that is going to kill themselves, I believe at least potentially, could hurt somebody else along the way. That once you've you've crossed that bridge, so that whole area, then we can all agree that helping that person is probably the number one thing we can do to stop that eventuality. 
And there is no law that does that. There is only action that does that. Absolutely. I agree with that. I, it, and one, one of the interesting things is, yes, like that's a, that statement is 100% true. There is no law that will stop that, right? But it, when I talk to somebody that is on the so-called other side or just doesn't get it, I always try to approach it in a way where I'm like, let me not use language that kind of makes them shut down, right? Sure. So like I'll say something like, we're about to have a discussion. At the end of this discussion, I'm either going to get you to admit that you just wish you want all guns to go away, period, which you can have that opinion. You're entitled to that opinion. And if if I believed I thought that would work, <laughs> I might try it because I love people. I don't want to see humans die. Like that's that's not my thing. But I know that that doesn't work. So I get into these these very uh, calm conversations with people. And what's crazy about that is like most of the time at the end of the conversation, I get a hug and a I never even looked at that way. I either got to rethink the way I think about firearms because they're just. In, a, in that echo chamber, only getting it from one source, or they literally say, I still disagree with you, man, but, you know, I wish all guns would go away. You're right. I absolutely hate firearms, and I blame the thing, which I'll take, right? At least you're you're doubling down on something that's impossible, right? <laughs> like, I, I'd prefer you to literally say, I just hate guns, rather than be like, well, if we made 18-year-olds and we bumped it to 21, or, you know, those type of laws that absolutely do nothing but, like, make people who are law-abiding citizens uh, victims, right? Yeah. Uh, like, I can dig that, right? I can dig someone that just digs their feet in the ground and takes their stance over somebody that, you know, is trying to angle towards that, but they don't really want to come out and say it. Like, I don't know. I, I just prefer it to be out in the open, but you can get, there is no law. There's no nothing. You're, you're right. There's not, there's only action that we can do. There's places that are already doing things that are doing amazing things. But one of the things that I want to bring up here is the last president of my company, um, the one I took over for, uh, is, was a dear friend of mine, a dear friend of my family's, and he committed suicide. So the president of Eagle Imports committed suicide one day, and it was a blow to everybody because we did not see it coming. Um, and it's one of those things where when you look for answers and they're not there, I think about it a lot. I think about what kind of medications was he taking because I know he, he didn't sleep well, so he took Ambien, right? What kind of this? What kind of that? But then I also thought about it later after I kind of went down this road and I thought, you know, he had something traumatic happen to him. He had got stopped and got a DUI. He made a mistake, right? Um, and he took his life the next day. Um, I don't know if he thought he wasn't going to be able to work in the gun industry. I don't know what he thought, right? I don't know what the thought process was, but suicide is, it, it's, it really happens. Crisis, right? Trauma. Like people don't understand that not everyone processes things by just saying, oh, I screwed up. I'm really upset. Sometimes they will go to extreme measures. And that's the thing. I feel like he had nowhere to go. I mean, I'm an owner of the company. He couldn't call me and say like this really. I, you see what I'm saying? Do you see where no, I'm going? No, I do. This? I do. It's, it's, it's exactly what you're saying is like if we – let people, you know, get to a certain point. We don't need any laws to do this. We just need safe haven, safe spots where people can talk. If they don't have a friend or a counselor, 
you know, they need to know there are places you can go. So, you know, the suicide thing definitely hits home, especially for Eagle, right? Because I don't know how my people, and we talk about it to this day, we, we kept moving forward. We had to, right? But I don't know if we ever really mitigated it. <laughs> you know, um, if, looking back on it, if I was who I am now, you know, in 2009, I probably would have said, look, we're all going to go to counseling together and I'll pay for counseling for anybody that doesn't, he wants to do it on their own. Um, you know, but we're, we're tight. Eagle's a small company, um, very family like, but we just, we push forward. We never really dealt with it, but you know, I, I never thought about it until later on that, man, some of my people might've been like, we just lost Bill. Bill's gone. <laughs> and no one knows why, like no one knows he was the happiest guy on the planet. So the suicide thing is super important when it comes to walk to talk America. And that's really Mental Health America, that's their main goal is is to mitigate suicide deaths by firearms because you're right. You take out all those, we're not talking about a lot of people that no, die by firearms. No, you know? we're not. And, uh, you know, you hear the, 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 the inflated number of school shootings. They make it sound like every other day there's a school shooting. And then when you start researching what they're calling a school shooting, you'll find something like, oh, it was a, a, a basically a, a school at a youth prison where the guard accidentally shot himself in the foot. Or you read that a guy pulled into the parking lot of the school he went to, you know, 10 years ago, sat in his car in the parking lot and shot himself. Right. That's not a school shooting. That's a suicide at a school parking lot. And I'm just thinking that it, when you make a decision to take your own life and you make a conscious decision first to go to that school, when you do it, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say there's probably a connection to how that person was treated as a student in that school. It, it, it's it's possible that it just randomly happened, but I don't think it's likely. It's not logical. And, and I, this is like the two places I see the most pain coming from right now is prior service and our youth in our public school system. Those two places, and I, I don't know a lot about it probably because we don't, care enough, honestly, as a society, but probably people coming out of prison experience the same thing, prison and jail, et cetera. And, and, and those three areas. And then you like your, your friend, like a person like, it doesn't even make sense. Like, I don't even understand. And, and I, I try not to go down too far down the rabbit hole conspiracy, but whenever I hear pharma, pharmaceutical drugs, I hear psychotropic drugs that alter the brain chemistry and things that do things like serotonin reuptake inhibitors, I'm thinking, Well, maybe that person needed help, but maybe the help they got was actually something that triggered this final response. There's no, it's so, it's so difficult because there's not, not one thing that you can, is real. Crisis is real. And everyone, like for example, PTSD. People don't realize, I have a lot of friends that have literally told me, well, that's a military thing. I'm like, no, that's a real life thing for everybody. Yes. Like, yeah. And, it's, you know, they just associate it with the military because that's how you see it in the news. Right. Like that Marine that that in Thousand Oaks, I immediately put my hands in my face. And I, I was like, oh, my God, like they keep saying PTSD. And that's going to, you know, people are going to just associate it to Marines, period. That's something for me. Like, that's what they do. They go into, you know, it's it's wrong. Um, I, interesting thing. I I'm lucky enough to be able to talk to a bunch of people now that I probably would never have access to if, if I didn't start the organization. So I kind of cherish these things that I was talking to a gentleman that basically uh, has a company where they in Oakland, California, right? Like they put up these 
um, so shots fired, right? And, and the biggest part of underserved, underprivileged communities is that nobody calls the cops because nobody wants to be a snitch. Mm-hmm. And they want to get involved. So people are dying, right, from gunshots. Then they would nest, they wouldn't have if maybe it was in, you know, Beverly Hills, right? So he developed this thing where people can hear the gunshot and the police know to go there, right, without anybody calling, which is kind of cool, right? It recognizes gunfire, but the conversation goes and it, it was kind of neat. It was like, okay, you know, there's a lot of kids that say, I'm afraid to go to school. My daughter said it before once too. And I was kind of like, be afraid of heart disease, be afraid of cancer. Do not be afraid to go to school because like you said, the numbers, it's, it's not as big an epidemic as everyone thinks. But he said underprivileged communities, the children feel safer in schools and home. It's getting to and from the school that they develop the crisis. They have the trauma. Because they're stepping over chalk lines or they're seeing people they know get shot, right? So then you don't – no one thinks about the kid that just made it to school and went back home but then walked over that chalk line. That kid might develop something later on in life <laughs> if if what he saw is bothering him and he can't talk about it. Because that's the thing. Like my friend Maj – I don't know if you guys uh, – you might know Maj Torrey from Black Guns Matter. You know – we joked around one day and he was like, it's like what Kevin Hart said in the black community. You don't talk about things like that. You talk about him in the barbershop. We don't go to therapy, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> we go to the barbershop. And I was cracking up. I was like, yeah, that's that Kevin Hart thing from that movie. But in the same token, if you don't, if you can't talk about things, you're going to suffer from PTSD later. And there's going to be all kinds of stuff that if there's a traumatic situation and you've never dealt with the stuff in the past and it punches you right in the face there, who knows how you handle it, right? Maybe Boy, it's seen- I'll tell you what. You just uncovered something that, like, so long ago I said, like, one of the problems our military has is in World War II, like, when my grandfather came home, he got on a ship, and it took him months to get home. And for that period, even though he because he was, war's over, I'm out, right? And But for that period of time, he was surrounded by men that understood what he'd gone through, and they decompressed together. Now we have a guy... Uh, his tour ends in Iraq, he's not re-enlisting, or he's in Afghanistan, gets on a plane, 48 hours later, boom, he's at home. No one to talk to. So I, I've kind of talked about that before, but what you were saying there about the barbershop thing, I remember society being a lot different than it is today. I'm not that old, but I'm, I'm getting up there. I got a lot of gray hairs. I'm, I'm approaching <laughs> 50, right? And I remember, like, the small towns I grew up in, people just got together and talked, And now everybody talks through social media, and everybody's freaking fake, honestly. So right. you're now comparing yourself to this, the, all these fake, fake-ass people, you know, showing only their best. And nobody just sits and talks anymore. And I think that maybe we've lost a lot of what we call, like, natural counseling, native counseling. Like, we don't have these problems in aboriginal societies where people get around a campfire and talk all the time. We do workshops here at my house once a year, and we have like 50 people camped on my property, and people stay up till 2, 3 o'clock in the morning because they're talking to people that understand them. And I just think we've lost so much of that, and, and that can lead to a lot more types of PTSD that are not you know combat-related or something, though the children you're talking about, it's pretty much a lot like combat. Um, right. In some ways, it's worse, because in combat... There is kind of this, 
if you have a well-defended rear, and there, there's guys in Afghanistan with mortars dropping on them and stuff still today, but in a lot of situations with modern combat, like you have this safe place, and when you go out, you know you're going out, and you know you're engaging, and then you know you're coming back, and, and you kind of have like a, you know, a, a, a something more routine about that, where when it's a very random thing, You know, that's, that's terrorism in, in, in a way, even if it's not mm -hmm. intentional. Um, the way people got so freaked out, like let's say when the snipers were going around the Beltway, right? The Beltway snipers. Like, I remember my wife saying, I actually feel uncomfortable. We had this big, beautiful picture, picture window in a big open field. I feel uncomfortable sitting here, and I know it's stupid because we live 500 miles from where this is going on, and um, there's no reason to even think they would come here. But yet I feel exposed. And you got to think a kid growing up in that environment thinks every time I walk out the door, even if nobody's mad at me, I could get killed. And right. if you don't think that's going to lead to some level of, you know, stress disorder, and whether it's post depends on whether or not they're still there. You know, I, I don't know if they have a word for, you know, is it just traumatic stress disorder when the thing causing the stress is still going on? Like right. that, that whole, that's a huge can of worms, man. Oh yeah, I mean this this could be like a five hour podcast. Believe me, if you let me go, like like, it, but it, it's true. And going back to like your wife's thing, right? Like, imagine if she couldn't say that aloud to you. Yeah. Right. Like imagine. So like, and it lasted I, years. Right. But like that's so like that's my th like one of the things that Walk Talk America does is we have these bands that we get in the school system where you can go and take an anonymous. Uh, free mental health screening and areas like PTSD. There's all these different things on there. Um, the reason why I got the idea is because of my daughter. Um, you know, my, my ex-wife, who I still have a very good co-parenting relationship with, is, uh, battles mental illness. Um, she does. She battles it bad and, and her life has gone up and down because of it. But one of the cool things about my daughter seeing this is they see their father working with all these people trying to find solutions. Right. So we, we had this open dialogue one time and it came out of nowhere. We're in the car and she's 11 years old. And you know, she goes, Hey dad, I think I suffer from anxiety. And I said, well, why do you think that? And she gave me a couple of reasons. And I said, you know what? I'm not a professional, but here, here's, you know, the company that the organization that your father works with, MHA, go on their website. There's a place where you can go and take an anxiety test and see how you come out. I never pushed, right? Left yeah. it at that. Comes back three days later, hands me something, like do something for homework. On the way out the door, she turns. She's like, oh, I never told you I took that test on the website. I said, well, what, what happened? She said, I only suffer from mild anxiety. Hmm. And I said, isn't that a good thing? She goes, no, 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 I'm, I'm happy about it. I thought it was worse. And I said, but did you see all this stuff on there? Because I had told her, answer it honestly. Don't answer it like you're answering because someone's judging you. Hmm. No one's coming through the window. No one's coming out you know, through the roof. No one's going to take you away. Answer it honestly. And she, it, she said it helped me because it shows you what to do. And it's mild. Like she was like, I'm so happy it's mild. Now, I thought about that after she left. I was like, how do I get a bunch of kids to do the same thing, right? Because then you're comfortable talking about your stuff. Because if I would have told my grandfather and my uncle, God bless their souls, who are Italian Jersey guys, <laughs> they would have said, I'll show you anxiety. <laughs> like I would have never been able to get that. You know, I, I wouldn't have gotten the response that I gave her. But and I get it. They came from a different school, right? Like you didn't worry about things like anxiety, but I still feel like. 
we need to because that's it's more important to be able to say, even if it sounds stupid, hey, I feel like I can get shot through this window by a sniper because that's what it's making me feel, then have your wife oppress it. And then, you know, maybe that leads to other types of anxieties and she's just trying to keep it together. And then all of a sudden we're at that stage four part, right? Like that, I think it's a huge net we can cast to kind of keep people together and understand it's okay to talk to your friends. It's okay to say, well, sometimes I feel funny or I hear voices and it doesn't seem right. So I want to get help or I want to just see because what's the worst that can happen? They tell you you're fine, right? Like, or they tell you that you caught it soon enough and you could fix it, mm-hmm. right? There's there's two ways to go about it, and then you find ways to mitigate it and 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 fix it and know you have it. So then you stop putting yourselves in situations where maybe you know you make yourself look a certain way because people don't understand you because you've never dealt with your problems. I like it when people tell me what's wrong because I can cut to the chase and try to solve the problem. Right. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that, that aspect of being able to, like you said, bring it back to what you said, community circle around, everybody talk. Are you good? You good? Are you okay? No, tell me what's wrong. We need to get back to that as a society. Like we need to stop with the whole macho. Everybody's tough. Like, no, some people are really, really tough, but they can also break down too. Yeah. Yeah, the the, uh, the the six foot six football player still has a problem when he breaks his knee, and if yeah. you can break your knee, you can have problems mentally too. Absolutely. Um, so tell us a little bit about the specific programs you guys sponsor. You're, you guys are nonprofit, so where's the money go? You know, that's what people don't really want to know anymore because you know we gave a half a billion dollars to the Red Cross for Haiti, and they put one water tank down there and kept the money. So right. people want to know, like, if I support something, where, what, what does this go? How does this help? Well, that's one of the, you know, circling back to what you said, like Eagle, that was one of the most important things for me. Before I started asking people for actual dollars, I I needed to do it myself, right? Remember, I had to put my money where my mouth is, and I had to sell a bunch of guns. So I went, instead of just going from June 15th, conceptual, in July, whatever, when I got the letter, I, I went all the way back to January 1 of 2018, and that gave me a nice nest egg, so I didn't need some money, right? Because I, I could do anywhere between forty to eighty thousand guns a year between my different brands, right? So um, that was that was important to me because I was like, I had people that literally trusted me enough. They're like, I'll give you money, and I was like, wait, 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 just wait, because I wanted to make sure I found the proper programs and the proper people where I knew we wouldn't have like that Haiti situation. So, you know, it, it's one of those things that. It took time. It took a couple months to dig through and find people like uh, Richard Egan from Nevada Coalition for Suicide Prevention, right? They have these SOS kits that we fund to get into schools um, that basically give teachers – they look for kids that might be having trouble, and they learn how to respond to them and treat them. Because if you think about it, right, like if you suffer from anxiety and you're at work – well, let's, let's just go back here, right? If you have a stomach flu and you go to work and you throw up or you say you're going to throw up, usually your boss is like, get out of here. Don't get everybody sick. But if you have anxiety and you start to suffer from a panic attack and you need to get up out of your cubicle and walk outside and spend five minutes out there running through whatever routine it is that calms you down, like a lot of bosses would be like, get your ass back in the seat. 
right? Because they don't understand what's going on. You just look like you're being disrespectful, right? But so if we teach people to recognize certain things, especially teachers, because our children are, you know, that's who they spend the majority of their day with, right? So our teachers need to be able to, so we have a teacher SOS kit program that we sponsor that that shows people this is how you deal with this type of personality or this disorder, this thing, um, which is really awesome. And if anybody's going to be at SHOT Show, they'll be able to talk to one of the people that's behind this thing. They'll be in the Walk to Talk America booth, which was donated by the NSSF. So that's another company that helped me out. Uh, we have a police program. You will not believe how many people um, disregard the mental health of police officers. They think they're all powerful. They're all knowing. No, they're regular people. I sat through this program. I was invited to sit through this police program um, with Metro, with Las Vegas. I'm from Las Vegas. And there's a, a, there's somebody from Indianapolis. He's a, a former SWAT team guy. He goes around with his partner, and they do two-day seminars with police officers. I got to, I was lucky enough to sit in like the last two hours of the last day. And I was shocked that what he was showing them and the way he was talking to them about the things about mental health, I thought they would have learned that in the academy. So like when it ended, I took the guy aside and I said, they don't teach this to you in the academy. Like you don't go any. And he's like, no. And I saw he was like, believe it or not, like some police officers will come to me in tears. And I'm like, brother, I know exactly what you feel. I like, trust me, I had people come up in tears for me. Like when I speak about certain things. So that's one of the things that we're funding and, and we're bringing that nationwide, which is awesome. Um, cause so many police officers and first responders, no one ever cares to think, are they screwed up? Are they okay? Right. Cause, and they are seeing terrible stuff. And then also, you, if you have better police officers that are mental, mentally stable up here, they're, they're healthy, right? That's going to bleed out into the community. So it's important. It's one of those things, but nobody thinks about them, right? It's either you take a stance, you're, you're proud, you support the blue, or you're angry and you hate them, right? But no one understands that they're normal people too, that go home to kids, that go home to normal problems, that maybe they see things growing up and five years later, growing up through the force, a good cop turns into a cop that has a cocaine problem or beats his wife, right? Because he's never mitigated the trauma that he's seen. He's never talked about it. He's never done anything. So that's another initiative we have. And it was important for me to have that one too, because there's so many people in the gun industry that are very pro law enforcement and I need to be able to speak to everybody, right? So there's a cup of tea for everybody. Like, oh, they get behind that? I love that because I do support our boys in blue. So that's another initiative we have. Um, and there's a little bit more detail on these things on the website. If you go to where the donation part is, we actually spell it out to where people can see what these programs do. Um, but then there's other initiatives we're working on, too, like a, a suicide. It's a range program where we have these ranges that will put – our program's in there, and Gun Vault actually donated a bunch of safes that we painted bright green, orange, or bright green, bright green, sorry, lime green, that basically is the color, uh, color of mental illness or fighting mental illness. You can go to these ranges and check in your guns in a time of crisis. No questions asked. They'll take them in. So if you don't have a place for your guns or you don't want your guns around while one of your family members going through crisis – they will take them for you. So you don't have to contact law enforcement. You don't have to do anything. Like we call them safe spots. 
That's another huge initiative, which we're kicking off with the MHA in conjunction with MHA and all these ranges. We're, we're, we're announcing that at SHOT Show. So that's another thing. Now there's all these little things that we've done too, right? Like Gunball is working with Walk to Talk America. They're putting in their uh, safes, the gun vault safes, a trauma switch, like a sleep mode, to where if you may have a loved one that's going through crisis and you just want to lock the gun up for a couple of days, and I know a lot of people will be like, well, then you're disarming yourself. you got to make that call, right? If I have a wife that has bad thoughts and goes through dark times and I feel like a taser or my knife or anything less lethal can't get me through a potential attack and my wife I, you, you follow me on that one? Like yeah. I get it where people will say, if you lock up your guns and you're defenseless, because the lock will lock it from the inside. And then if you set it for three days, five days, two weeks, you can't get into it regardless, right? You could also use that if you go on a trip to Hawaii. So think of it that way. You just don't want people getting into the safe. But so we're working on things like that to make it easier to police our own or do it ourselves, because there are a lot of people that give that power to their wives or their husbands. Like if you see me in a dark space, take the guns, get them out of the house or take them somewhere, mm-hmm. you know, remove the firing pins, whatever. I want to make it easy for people to have solutions. So like that's an initiative where Walk to Talk money is not going towards that. That was just something that came out of Walk to Talk America working with Gun Vault because they're working with me. Right? They were like, God, you know, every day counts when someone gets suicidal. Or they, I feel like they want to take their lives. What can we do to you know, keep the most lethal means of doing it. You know, know, there's something to that beyond just not having access to the gun. Somebody gives a shit. I mean, that's, that's, I think so many people that, that get to that point where they're ready to commit suicide. They're, they're waiting for one person to give them one reason not to. And there's millions of reasons not to, but they, they're, they're, they're waiting for someone to care enough to notice and do something that says you matter. And it might yeah. be something that simple, like we care enough that we'll we'll safeguard your guns and you don't have to worry about that when you get your shit straight, they'll still be here. That that right. alone, it like says I care. We, we care enough to have this just for you before we even knew who you were. Right. And we're not judging you. No. There's no judgment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's okay to have Bad thoughts. It's okay to go to dark places. I mean, I, I, my, when I went to, well, I'm thinking about these red flag laws now. Like, we need these vault things everywhere, right? So if you think like, yeah, because there are instances already where like some pissed off ex-wife just decided to, to, to basically, it's like a a minor version of swatting someone, I guess, you know. Oh, I think he's dangerous or whatever, and then the cops come take his guns. Well, we're coming here to take your guns. Go ahead. I am. Right. Where are they? Ah, uh, I, I, you know, I thought maybe I, I did have a problem. I wasn't sure, so I, I took them to a place where I can't get them until I, you know, I, I feel okay again. So, but if you can find any, you can have them. You know, yeah. you know, yeah. absolutely. Well, and, and uh, you know, bringing up the red flag law, and I know we could probably have a whole another podcast about that. Um, I'm bringing to Shot Show actually a gentleman who went through this process because I'm a big discussion guy. Like I get it, I get why on both sides people. Because we do need someone, you know, I, God, I wish somebody had gone and taken away Cruz's gun. You know, I wish somebody would have taken the thousand. I get it. Like, you know, people make that argument. Well, you need someone to go get the gun, 
right? So there is some sort of form of, of red flag law that I see makes sort of sense if, you know, but you got to go through all this process. I believe in going through the process first, right? Determining a person shouldn't have a firearm. So I don't want any of the listeners to think that I'm packing red flag laws. No, I got you. I, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, so I'm working with this kid. He, he actually saw me speak in Denver and then it just so happened that he went through this process. So he contacted me and he's like, I'm super pro to a, um, I met you in, in Denver. I'm going through a thing and I need your advice. Well, I'm, I can't give advice, especially when it comes to that, right? Like I can only tell you, tell him what I think and then say, you got to make that call. But he actually had to go through the process with the red flag law in the state of Washington. Right. And he's a pretty objective guy. Like he looks at things and he takes good and bad. So it's kind of fascinating for me because a lot of people I talk to, a lot of people in the gun industry, I'm like, have you ever met anybody that's been red flagged or gone through the red flag process or whatever? And a lot of them say no, right? So here I am. I have this guy that that's on the 2A side that loves guns. He's into Walk Talk America, and he's going through this with his father. And it's insane. And I, that, I want to bring, you know, I wanted to bring him to, to, a shot show so he can talk to the people at Mental Health America because he's a perfect example of what works and what doesn't, right? So he has like all these positive and negatives. Like one of the positives was the police actually did everything in their power to let them handle it as a family, right? And said, we're on standby. Look, you know, we'll let you make the call now, but that might not be every police force, right? Right. Like there might be some where you, the wife, the ex-wife angry lover calls and says it and they just go and they don't do any research. But that was actually like a positive thing. But there were so many negative aspects of his experience that I think like people that are either for or against red flag laws need to hear his story. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Like, like, so it's, it's, but I believe that our industry and, and that goes into everything, right? Like, but let's face it, like we're all two A people, right? We, we believe in, Whatever we believe in. I believe our industry, though, needs to do a better job of policing our own. And we can do that, right? And we can work together at policing our own. I feel like giving someone the option to either lock their safe up, you know, or taking it down to a range and saying, look, things aren't going so so well. I need you to hold these. Yep, we'll check them in for you. Boom. Like, we're good. Okay. Get, you know, if you need anything, if you need any support, here's this pamphlet. This is that. Um, we need those type of things because we can police ourselves because we're very capable. <laughs> you know, we're the most responsible people on the planet, I believe, firearms owners, or at least ones that want to be, right, that mm-hmm. support the Second Amendment. I mean, you go to a gun show. I was just at the Big Rock show here in Nashville. People don't flash. I mean, there's everybody follows safety. You never see people putting their finger on the trigger. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, and that's what I love about having the uh, Mental Health America come to SHOT Show is because you're going to see – thousands of people that are responsible and they work for these companies. Hi, talking to them. This is this, this is this. So, you know, we, we can police our own and that's a start, right? Like that's a perfect place to start. So we're we're up to some good stuff, man. I'm telling you, like, first of all, I, the government watches 501c3s. This, and we're going to people, we're going to be, our feet are going to be held to the fire more than anybody's, right? Absolutely. So I got to pick the right programs. I got to pick the things I believe in, but I truly believe in them. But go to the website, like any listener right now, just go to the website and any question you have, me, Rob Pincus, 
Uh, Colian Noir is on my board. I mean, we all, you know, we talk about it. We tell you what it is. You know, we believe in it. And, and if we didn't, we, we wouldn't mess with it. Trust me. <laughs> I, I, I kind of do, man. So have you seen some positive outcomes already, people that have, you know, you've been able to help? Well, my God, yes. I have the – it's weird because everyone's put that up there or whatever. But, yeah, we've had great stories. Um, even just getting people more involved. Um, I had a gentleman in Massachusetts that went through an ordeal or he's going through. They're, they're fighting it. His son battles mental illness. And just seeing what Walk the Talk America does has inspired him to actually, like, have mental health discussions in the company he works for. So he went to the boss and was like, my son suffers from this. Sometimes it affects my work because if there's episodes or crisis, you know, this and this and that. But I need everybody to understand me and my family. But I think everybody in this office. And so they have now like scheduled like a day where they take the time to talk about these things like that kind of touched my heart because he was like, Walk Talk America inspired me to actually do something more. Now, not everybody can do that, right? Not everybody has time, right? Mm -hmm. But those are the type of things we're doing. Other ways that we've done some amazing things, um, we have gotten Mental Health America to understand, and this came out of a, this came out of a conversation that was through email with Debbie Plotnick, who's the vice president of Mental Health America. She had written up this one pager that we're going to be passing out at SHOT Show. And there was, everything was fine, but there was language at the bottom that said, if you're going through any kind of crisis or problem or you battle mental illness, do not be afraid to give a gun to a friend or a loved one. Like, and it was a simple statement like that because mm -hmm. they believe that. So I write back and I'm like, Debbie, everything's great, but you might want to change the language in the last paragraph. I said, the problem is with what you just said there is in states like New Jersey, where if I want, if I'm having crisis and you come over and you're like, Mike, you're not, things aren't so good, but like, hey, listen, I love you. Let me take your guns for a couple of days and you walk out of the door. We're now felons. Right. And that's all I said. And I put a laugh out loud. Like I was like, ha, ha like she writes back and she's like, wait, well, what, what? You can't hand your gun to a friend or a family or a loved one and they can't take it if you're feeling down, if you have suicidal thoughts. And I'm like, no, there's certain states like that that you can't do that. And the funny part is, is I have a funny feeling people have told her that before, but it's the first time that she's heard it from somebody she trusts. You see what I'm saying? Yes, I do. Like it's that I didn't shut down. So she writes me, she calls me the next morning and she's like, Mike. We, we've had a discussion about this. We're going to get our advocacy groups to take a closer look at these states that have these laws. Now, she's not saying she is against red flag laws. They're staying neutral. Like, they're staying Switzerland on that. But I brought it to her attention, and she's like, that is ridiculous that you cannot give your gun to your brother. And I was like, absolutely, Debbie. That's what we're talking about. That's one of the reasons why we are against red flag laws. Because of these little silly things that are written in the language of them. So like that is, I'm very proud of that, right? I'm very proud. And I don't know if what will come of it, but I know that if we have Mental Health America out there advocating for that right, maybe we can change some of the silly parts of these laws. Well, that was like, that's kind of a objection I would have never thought of, but it makes perfect sense. So now you've, you've, you've taken 
a viable thing that a person could do in a situation where they're not feeling right for whatever that, and you've taken it away from them and you've made helping that person a felony. Right. I, I, I remember when Washington passed a law that included that in it, and it, you know most laws it's it's the that's not wasn't really the intention to make handing you my gun a felony. It was to prevent me from gifting you a gun when you can't get one on your own, right? right. Uh, but the law was poorly written, and that's why it came out. But once they pass a law like that, it's very hard to get any kind of repeal or alteration. But that's an objection that through all of the anger that I heard from our side, if you want to call it that, when that came out, I never heard that objection. And that is the most powerful objection to that law I have ever heard. So right. that, that that's And if without the group that you've put together, probably wouldn't even have gotten there because, like you said, somebody's probably told it, told her it, probably didn't believe it. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's, that's one of those important. paranoid gun nuts, that's all, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Not then that's kind of like the beauty of where I come from because I'm not really, you know, I'm the ungun gun guy. Yeah. I don't you know, I I sit in rooms with people and I'm like, "Well, that's just not true." And they're like, "Well, how do you know?" And I'm like, "Because I work in the industry and I I'm not a gun guy. I like I could show you gun guys. I could show you guys that literally are they're made. They know the steel. Like, right? They know the diameter. Yeah. They know the speed. Like, I, I literally, it's like a Star Wars nerd who knows about the Millennium Falcon, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it's impressive, right? But I'm not that guy, so I'm not going to get, you know, I'm going to have that conversation and just be like, look, I lived it. I lived it. It's like when I met some – I was talking to a kid one day, and he was just like, yeah, I don't support the NRA because they're racist. I'm like, why, why do you think that? And he's like, well, they are. And I'm like, how many shows do you watch on NRA TV, by the way? Because you just told me that. And I'm like, and I'm livid because I'm not a racist. Yeah. So I don't know if, you know, I was kind of like being coy there. Like, yeah, yeah I was, <laughs> and I'm like, because I want to know who I'm supporting then. Like, what shows? And he was like, well, I haven't. I haven't watched one show. So then I was like, well, God, I'm like, you know, it's crazy that you would talk about an organization without even going to their website. <laughs> like, Go read what they're about. Like, and if they say something racist on there. Please let me know. Yeah. Right? <laughs> right. You know, like, it's the same way I felt about, like, you know, I have people that talk to me about certain things. Like, Black Lives Matter is about killing cops. And I'm just like, oh, oh my God. I got, first thing I did is I went to the Black Matter, or Lives Matter website. Because I'm like, do they say that? That's insane. And then, like, I realized it's not there. So then I went back to that person. I'm like, it wasn't there. And they're like. So I'm like, just because someone yells out Black Lives Matter and kills a cop, it's the same thing like the Dave Chappelle thing. Just because you yell out Wu-Tang and have <laughs> sex with a woman doesn't mean you're part of the Wu-Tang clan. Like, yeah. I don't want people talking for Walk to Talk America. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. see what I'm about. It's on the website. We believe in what we are. Now, granted, I get it. There's certain circumstances, right? I, I get it. Like, just because someone might support an organization and they might be a racist. Right. But that doesn't mean it speaks for the whole organization and the good of what they're doing. NRA is a Second Amendment right advocate. Now, whether they falter from that now or whatever is, you know, that could be argued in forums and, yeah. <laughs> and comments. I was, was going to say when you said they were that people said they were racist. I'm like, I, I've I've at times been upset with the NRA, but never due to racism. But the, right. but yeah, I mean. They are what they are, and they do what they do, and they're the biggest thing that we have, though I think there may be some 
that are a little bit more dedicated to the cause, so to say, but they're not racist. And it's, it's kind of insane that people make those staff judgments. Of course, that's what every, we're back to the feedback loop and all these issues. Right. Yep. You know, exactly. that's what like, it is. They're the worst racists ever because they just don't do anything racist. So they, they're, if they are, they, they have completely failed at that goal, right? Like, like I, uh, yeah. Um, no, I, I, trust me, trust me. The Shanine Allen thing, I got thrown into the Shanine Allen. I, I, for the listeners, Shanine Allen, and it's, uh, there's stories of it. You can YouTube it, you know, uh, was from Philly. She bought a Bursa, right? So Bursa, that's how I got kind of roped in. She, she drove into New Jersey. She worked in Atlantic City, a mother of two, uh, underprivileged, underserved community, literally just pulled over, had a concealed carry license, had no clue, which I understand. And she will say that I was stupid. I should have like looked at every law, but who thinks about that when you go to work, right? Like you're crossing a bridge and you're in another state, but she was honest. She told the cops it's in the glove compartment. Cops literally arrest her and destroy her life. Because you cannot carry a gun in New Jersey. Like, you, the, you cannot do that. Right? So, immediately, the NRA contacts me. And they're like, Shanine Allen, what do you think? I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about. They're like, she had a bursa on her. How do you feel about that? I'm like, I don't feel good. Yeah. And they're like, can we come talk to you? They flew to Texas. I was at a gun show. They flew in there to interview me because they wanted – a New Jersey, we're a New Jersey gun company, right? That's where my company is. I live in Vegas, but it's still in Jersey, um, you know, to talk about it. If they were racist, why would they have done that? <laughs> you know, and I know they went well beyond, like, financially, everything to help Shanine. You know what I mean? To help her get back on her feet and, and reverse the wrong doing that was done. But they're not a racist organization. And But that's the thing, the echo chamber and if you can't have the conversation with someone and you don't have to be rude and you do not have to, there's a way you can use your language where you can have a civil discussion. If you can do it, do it because that's a kid that I literally showed him. Like there's a thought process that you should use as a human. You know what I mean? Don't just, I'm not going to just listen to one source. Tell me about an organization. I'm going to go research it. Um, and you know, that's the reason why I don't talk about brain surgery, man. Because yeah. I've never been a brain surgeon. <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely, you know? absolutely. So can you give us a little bit about what your plans for the future are and tell people how they can uh, support your work and how they can learn more? Yes, absolutely. Uh, plans for the future. SHOT Show is going to be a big one because we're, 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 we're doing the national announcement of our partnership between Mental Health America and Walk the Talk America uh, we're going to continue to get the bands in schools. You know, the, the band WTTA.org forward slash love is where you can go to take that same exam or test, uh, screening, if you will, uh, that my daughter took to find out about the anxiety. Uh, we really want to get those into the community because it's a perfect place for people to go. We're going to continue to support the programs that we do, the range program, everything, but I am still actively, um, I call them my badass ninja angels in the community, right? Um, it's people like Richard Egan from Nevada Coalition for Suicide Prevention. Uh, it's people like James from Trigger Safe, who is the police officer. I told you the SWAT guy that goes around and talks to all these departments. Um, I, I constantly pick up the phone to talk to people like this and find them, and I'm going to fund their programs. So we're going to keep adding programs that we believe in and we love that help bring mental health awareness 
um, and kind of fundamentally have education, safety, and outreach that help people change their lives. Uh, we're going to cast such a wide net on this stuff that hopefully in the end, I want it to be like, uh, you know, seatbelts, right? My kids get in the car, they automatically put their seatbelts on. Um, I, I don't think anybody takes credit for the seatbelt thing, right? Like, whatever. I want mental health to be like that. One day, I hope that we have mental health class in school. Uh, one day, I hope that everyone just freely talks about the things that are going on and they have those things. We get back to that. That's what Walk to Talk America is going to do in the future. So if you want to follow us and you're still unsure, just follow us and see what we're about and just wait, right? If you don't like what we're already doing. But Walk to Talk uh, Walk the Talk US on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Um, and then walktalkamerica.org or wtta.org. Uh, that's where you can go to find out more information. You can also follow me personally. Um, I have Instagram, Facebook. I interact. Rob Pincus. Uh, Rob Pincus interacts. I'm sure many of your listeners know who he is. Um, all of us, we, we will tell you about the things we're doing. Follow us. You're going to see great things if you're already not sold. You know, and hey, listen, not everybody has money. If you want, donate. But if you don't have money and there's other ways you can contribute through either a resource you have, we'll take that too. Or just share, like share us on, you know, spread the word, like share us on Instagram or say, check this page out or Facebook. We'll take that too, man. That's beautiful. So very cool. Well, I'll make sure that I put links to all that stuff in the notes for today's episode. And okay. I really appreciate you, uh, uh, Michael, and the work that you're doing. And all the effort that's gone into this. And uh, we'll make sure we keep telling people about it in the future. And I thank you for being with us today on the show. No, I really do appreciate it any time, okay? And if anybody has a question or you ever come back with a question, I'm, I'm more than willing to talk to you. You've been awesome. So, All right, man. Well, uh, thanks for being with us today. Appreciate it. Great interview with a great guy. Again, I'll get all of his links for you guys into the show notes today. I really do feel it is incumbent upon us to help solve this problem. This is how problems work. Sooner or later, they become significant enough that they need solving. And sooner or later, someone steps up into that vacuum and does something about them. This always happens. This is a problem, and if we don't solve it, or at least seriously mitigate it and give options to people. When people say, well, how do you? Well, here you go. If we don't do that, sooner or later, the force on the other side, which believes the solution is to take away your rights, will provide a solution. And this is, this is a lesson in any place where there's a significant problem. If there's a significant problem, and it's an area that's important to you, you need to be part of the solution Not because if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. No, because somebody else is going to provide a solution, and I'm going to tell you, you're probably not going to like it. It couldn't be more true uh, anywhere than it is right here. So definitely, I think, an organization worth supporting. Uh, again, just great people. Walk the talk, America. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. I wanted to uh, also let you guys know you can help support the Survival Podcast by doing your online shopping at tspaz.com, and I also have items of the day every day for review for you. I've got one today I worked a long time to track down. Um, it's French press, and I've talked about French presses before for, for making tea and coffee and other stuff, uh, infusions, herbal infusions, etc. I use it in mead making. 
Uh, it's just a great thing to have. Well, I had found one that I was absolutely happy to recommend. It was made uh, by a company called um, uh, Kitchen something or another. I can't remember. Kitchen Supreme. That's that's the name. Uh, and and I recommended it for a long time, several years. And uh, somebody emailed me a couple months ago and said, "Hey, that that French press you you recommended is eighty dollars." I'm like, "No, it's not." So I looked it up. Kitchen Supreme doesn't make it anymore. And there was one for sale for eighty bucks and one for sale for sixty bucks uh, by you know third party sellers on Amazon because people still want it, can't get it, jack the price up because you have the few that are available for sale. Look, it's a good it's a good French. It ain't that good. If it was sixty bucks, I would have never recommended it in the first place. This is a twenty to thirty dollar product. Well, I started looking around to find a replacement, and I found a French press made by a company called Fine Dine. And guess what? It's the same French press. It is the exact same French press. It is built the same way. It has the same moldings. It has the same top. The only thing they changed is it comes with some accessories, and one of the, the measuring scoop for the coffee or tea was plastic, and now it's steel, so that's an upgrade. It's also gone down in price from the original one. Uh, it's like 18 bucks. So if you've been looking for a French press, if you tried to get the one I used to recommend, you're like, I ain't paying 80 bucks for it, you can check this thing out. This is one of the few good things about the fact everybody's manufacturing overseas now. Uh, these factories don't care about intellectual property and what have you, and if nobody's going to do anything about it, they don't care. They just go. And uh, so, you know, this is probably a product that was devved up, and that company decided they didn't want to be in business anymore or left because they don't seem to have anything really available anymore. And, uh, and and another company just said, well, there's a hole in the market. We'll just go to that OEM and we'll just get it. So a lot of stuff on Amazon, especially stuff that is made in China, and this is made in China, uh, you can find, you can look at five different people with five different names on it. You see it's the same thing. This is the only one I can find that's the same one. I love this French press. I won't get into why because this is a long show today, and yesterday's with Steve was a really long one. But if you go read my review that's available today, you'll see why I love it. And uh, I think it belongs in, in, in your life, honestly, especially if you're a coffee tea drinker. Uh, I, I've gotten rid of my coffee maker. I don't have a coffee maker anymore. Uh, I have a big one for workshops, but um, honestly, we just use this because it makes such a better product. Uh, check it out. Remember, whenever you shop at T-Spaz, no matter what you buy, you help support the show and the work that we do. That brings us to our song of the day. Song of the day today fits, uh, fits pretty well with today's show. We're going to bring in Garth Brooks week. This song's All-American Kid. It talks about a kid that, you know, is a great football player. He wins the championship, and his whole town's proud of him. Colleges come looking to recruit him. He can go anywhere he wants, and he decides to join the military instead. He goes and serves overseas. He gets banged up pretty good, but he comes home, and everybody loves him when he comes home. Uh, Garth called it the perfect Garth Brooks song. He thought it was perfect when it was written for him to perform. And... He's really, Garth is a guy that's very proud to be an American and feels very blessed that in America he could do what he did as an entertainer, make the money that he made. And one thing I really love about Garth Brooks, he's a very humble person. You hear all these celebrities talk about being bothered, but yet they tweet out where they're eating dinner because they really are like attention whores. He's just a simple guy that really, you know, he loves to perform, but he's kind of retired for a long time now. And, you know, he keeps a low profile. If you don't want to be bothered, you don't go around telling everybody where you are. Um, so I kind of really dig him, but I think that there's something that's missing in this song. Uh, part of you feels all the way through it that you're going to hear something horrible. Even during, when I was listening to it the first time I ever heard this song, I was thinking, he's going to get hurt. 
making that play in high school. He doesn't. You think he's going to die when he goes overseas. But the last line of the song basically says, this is for everybody that did, they come to come back hit, you know. And he came back in the football game. He came back from the war. But this is, this is for all of you that didn't. And it recognizes that not everybody does come home. But the whole town cheered when he came home, and I think one of the things we need to understand about our veterans when they come home is even when they are welcomed back with lots of gratitude, even when uh, everybody says, oh, man, it's great you're home, etc., it all goes away. And then all the stuff, the good and the bad, comes back in your mind. And a lot of the guys that you see that re-enlist, they really didn't want to re-enlist. They just weren't comfortable. They couldn't be anywhere else. And then some of the other ones, they go through a war, they come home whole, but they take their own life. And we have way too many veterans leaving us through suicide. The organization we talked about today is trying to do something about that, so I thought it was an interesting fit. It's also a good song. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Was a captain of the team his senior year. In his eyes on his helmet, he had no fear. Down by six ball on the ten Said huddle up and boys we got a game to win he Snapped the ball he looked left and right Nobody was open so he tucked it in tight And with four of them boys hanging on the camp Ran out as he ran it in the By the best schools in the land He decided he would sign with his uncle Sam Kissed his mama goodbye in their living room Said, Dad, don't worry, I'll be home soon
Brought him back home with his battle scars. He stepped off the plane in his combat boots. He saluted the red, the white, and the blue. In the